Today's Bible reading is John chapter 11 and it's on page 1076 of the Church Bibles. If you're, I was just going to say if you're in the front row, just see if you can get one from behind. Some lovely soul will give you one, I'm sure. I've got used to wearing them of late, only because um, I actually caught COVID about three weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, so you sort of get used to having them on a bit. Um, Once again, so we're starting at verse one and we're starting with these words. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. And he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Well, Jesus answered, there are not 12 hours of daylight, aren't there? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had actually been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to 
Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. Thanks so much, Glenis, and good morning from me uh, to those of you who are here in the building and to those of you who are here online. For, for guests, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here. Redeeming suffering. I mean, sometimes it sneaks up on you and gradually overwhelms you. Uh, sometimes it hits you front on and overwhelms you that way. And one of the most natural things to do, even if you don't know God well, is to call out to him for help, to take it away, to bring you relief. And God has the power to do that and the will to do that. But in his love and wisdom, it's not always what he does, not immediately, maybe not for quite some time. So I've been intrigued by something that the American author and speaker Nancy Guthrie has said. She's written and spoken very helpfully into the space of living with difficulty and walking alongside people who are living with difficulty. And she's talking in, in this place about the culture of prayer in a church. And I'm intrigued by that because I'm the pastoral care minister here and part of my job is to build the strength of the way that we care for one another and people beyond the church community. She says, a church that only knows how to pray for suffering to be removed and knows nothing about praying for it to be redeemed is not a safe place for broken people. Quite a striking statement. She goes on to say, people are left confused and oftentimes angry when there was only prayer for deliverance and the deliverance didn't come. So is relief from pain immediately all we want or expect from God? Is that all we would ask for? either as a sufferer or as a church, as we care for one another? Is there something else to pray as well? Something more? Something that could be even greater than immediate healing or relief? That's where this idea of redeeming suffering 
comes in. Haven't heard that expression before, but I think it's very helpful. Because we, we can be overwhelmed by the experience of hardship. But the scriptures alert us to all kinds of ways in which God can use hardship for our good and for God's glory. And so that's where we're heading today. Today we're going to explore ways that God uses our suffering for our good and for his glory, how he redeems suffering. And where I'll finish at the end, and I'm hoping you have something to take away at this point, to see how that might enrich the way that we pray for ourselves and for one another. And have the right kind of expectations as to what, is, what God is doing and what God might do through our suffering. It's the sort of thing that I hope will help to build the culture of prayer in our church, both as we gather on a Sunday, as we get together in growth groups, in our own personal prayers, the devotional prayers that we might pray each day and the prayers that we pray as we walk along and we become aware of suffering. So we're going to start this morning with a little bit of the story of Lazarus. We're going to move to a couple of other scriptures before we move to prayer. Now the story of Lazarus is one of the great, one of the great stories of the Bible. It must have been wonderful to be there. Although to be in Lazarus' shoes, to be in the, the shoes of his sisters, they, they don't know what Jesus knows when he first hears about his illness. They don't know this is going to turn out well. Their suffering continues. They can't see the end of the story. Uh, if you don't know the Lazarus story, if we had it read on further through um, John chapter 11, the, the story culminates remarkably with Jesus going to his tomb. He's been dead four days. He goes inside the tomb and he brings him out alive again. And in a, in a wonderful way, what he does there points to who he is and what he's come to do. It actually makes all the difference to the way that we see the world, this part of the story. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're in the middle of it. They don't know what Jesus had told the disciples when he first heard about Lazarus's illness. When he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's not for God's glory so that, the, so that God's son may be no, it's, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. John chapter 11, verse 4. See, that's where this story is going to finish. But in the middle of it, Martha and Mary don't know that. Why wouldn't Jesus drop everything? He loves them. He loves Lazarus. He weeps, actually, when he gets to the tomb of Lazarus with Mary and Martha and others who are in deep grief. He loves them. He has the power to do it. So why wouldn't he come immediately? Why would he delay like he does coming and go somewhere else on the way to Bethany? Again, it's for God's glory that it will happen, but well, they're, they're standing where many believers are standing today. We're, we're in the midst of great difficulty and it might have been happening for a long time and we can't see what God's doing. We don't know what God's doing. I mean, when Jesus does get to Bethany, I wonder whether there's a, a hint of exasperation when Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, when we're living with suffering, we don't understand what God is doing. 
And we, we will be disappointed if we expect that God will always answer our prayers for relief immediately and will lead to great frustration and, and disenfranchising if we lead others to believe that as we pray with them and for them. One of the best things we can bring to the experience of suffering is, is a really strong grasp of the sovereign goodness of God. It's the very sort of thing that this sign, which John calls it is, when, uh, when, um, when Lazarus rises, this sign that points to who Jesus is and what he does. The, 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 the raising of Lazarus points forward. It foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus himself. And the resurrection of Jesus indicates that he is the one, that God is placing the, the, the rule of the world into his hands. We know that God is good and that he is great. It can make all the difference as we live with suffering. But we won't all know, always know specifically what he's doing. There's lots to learn from the story of Lazarus. But now I want to take you on to the experience of the Apostle Paul. And you might think, wow, he was such a mighty person used by God. His life must have always gone really well. You might think that. But in fact, that was not Paul's experience. Um, in, in the letter of 2 Corinthians, he goes into quite a bit of detail about the hardship that he lived with and, and what God did through that. Even in the, the mode of him presenting the gospel, he was almost a walking illustration in so many ways of the gospel. But I want to take you to, to one aspect of his experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, where, where, where Paul describes this thing that he describes as a thorn in his flesh. And, and we don't know exactly what it was, but we know it was terrible. It tortured him. It was an awful thing to live with, and he pleaded with God. He prayed urgently for God to take it away, but, but it didn't happen. And in chapter 12, he explains what God revealed to him. See, Mary and Martha don't know what Jesus is doing, but God tells Paul what he's doing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he begins by saying, It was in order to stop me from being conceited that I was given this thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Sorry, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is a harrowing experience for Paul. But sometimes, in order to, to, to learn huma humility, sorry, God needs to humble us. Pride is such a, a wicked sin. We, we, we take glory to ourselves, which only belongs to God. And Paul must have been sorely tempted by that. He was a man of such great learning, such a great mind, chosen by the Lord Jesus himself and commissioned to be the one who would take the message of Jesus to the rest of the world, to the Gentile people. But God gave him the thorn and he real, revealed to him exactly what he was doing. A local story here, not long after I came to St. Matthew's, a lady called Patsy came to see me. We'd, we'd met each other here at church, she, she came a number of times before she made an appointment to come and see me. Uh, I loved Patsy, she's such a vibrant person and uh, uh, when I met her she'd just retired from a really great career in journalism. 
She had some great plans for retirement. But she came to see me because she'd been feeling unwell. She explained she'd been to see a number of doctors and she was coming straight from one of them who'd given her just terrible news. She was in shock, I think, that she'd been diagnosed with a late-stage cancer that would need invasive treatment if there was to be any hope for her survival. And so we talked in my office here at St Matthew's and, and we prayed together. It was a terrible day for her. Now we kept in touch and saw each other here at church from time to time. Another day I got a call and again, in her way, she kind of came in, in, into my office and she said to me, Andrew, I, I wish it didn't take a, a diagnosis of a, a stage four cancer to bring me back to God. It says something of how far I had drifted from him. I was coming along to church here, but I wasn't really living for him. In so many ways, I was ignoring him. And, and as much as I hate this suffering and what it's doing to my body and what it's done to our plans for retirement, I'm so glad of God's patience and kindness towards me. He's brought me back to himself. And I'd love to be able to tell you that she got well. She didn't. Uh, later that year, we had a really big funeral here for her. And one of the things she made sure was done on that day was that her testimony to God's goodness would be heard by everybody who was here. Now, she understood, and Paul understood, because God spoke to him, why the suffering had come upon them. We won't always have that experience. So I want to take you to another place in the Scriptures, to the book of Hebrews, which deals with this issue of our ongoing experience of suffering, which we ought to expect. Peter says in his letter, don't be surprised at the suffering that comes upon you. But there is a wealth of scripture that alerts us to how God might use our suffering for our good and for God's glory. I'll take you to two verses in Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 7 and, and, and 11, where the instruction there, this is some training for us, some understanding, so that we can see what God might be doing. Instruction there is to endure hardship as discipline, not, not, not the not discipline that punishes, but the discipline that, that a loving parent gives to a child. God is treating you as children and he is a loving and wise father, our heavenly father. Now verse 11 says, it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now we get training here in Manly, physical training. You might be part of one of the local gyms or it might be you that I see out there training some mornings as I'm running past. Um, we get, we get that, that physical training strengthens your body, adds to your fitness and, and so often to your whole sense of, of well-being. But God works through the difficulties that we live with for the good of our souls. There is, a, there is a purity of faith, there is a, a maturity of Christian character that can only be forged through suffering. There's a certain kind of greatness that can only be attained through great adversity and enduring through that adversity. Now as a community, actually as a race, 
We've been living through an unexpected form of adversity in the form of a, a, a pandemic, the COVID pandemic. And it's affected us all in a whole range of ways. I wonder as you think about this, can you see ways in which God has been training you through that experience? Have you been praying that he would be teaching you, searching for what he might want you to, to develop in your own walk with him? Uh, for myself, I think I had the most well-publicised case of COVID at St Matthew's. It was, in a, it was in a letter to everybody. I, I, I had COVID back in January. It was a really mild case. The, the amount of sympathy I got was far outweighed the suffering that I went through. It was a mild case. So it wasn't the sickness that, that I've found difficult. I think a lot of what I've found difficult is just the, the uncertainty and the unpredictable, uh, unpredictability. And, and I guess the shared anxiety that just grew and, and is still with us to some extent. And I, I'm someone who likes getting things done. I like moving things forward, even if they're not moving fast. You can go a long way, a step at a time. But I just found through COVID a whole lot of boxes that I'm used to being able to tick, and I literally do have boxes that I try and tick every day. Uh, they just weren't there. <laughs> I, I had a sense of just wondering what, what I was doing, <laughs> what God was doing, what we were doing as his people, what he was doing in his church. And I, and I asked God for help in that, and, and I looked to find ways of serving him. And after a while, I, I found myself thinking often about what it says in Ephesians 2 about the good works that God has prepared for us to do and so the pattern that I adopted was each day asking God to show me what they were and 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 to give me the will and the and the wit to to understand what they were and it was a good experience for me to be looking to him and to be recognizing that he is working things out and, and he's actually created this moment for me to trust him and to live for him and to do what I can for the honour of his name. To learn to accept with patience however much fruitfulness or frustration that may unfold in the day. I'm sure there are other ways that God has been working in me as well and it would be really interesting to hear from you if, if you've seen ways that God has been working you in that way. What Hebrews teaches us is that even though that it is not pleasant at the time, God redeems our suffering. He produces in us a harvest of righteousness, of, of living well in his name, a harvest of peace, of soul and of mind that comes as we learn to trust him and as we endure by his grace. The scriptures have a lot to say about this kind of thing. One page after another, there are things to learn. But what I want to do now is move beyond that principle of redeeming suffering to how it might enrich the way we pray for ourselves and for others, to how we might grow as a gathering of God's people here in the way that we walk with one another and the way we pray for one another. So I just want to make some closing remarks on how we pray when we suffer, when I suffer as an individual or when you suffer and I'm praying for you, how do we pray? Well, I do want to say, pray that God will bring relief. Uh, pray for God to do something miraculous. Pray for God 
to work through people he's given gifts to, like doctors and psychologists and, and health workers of all kinds, who, who God's given gifts for helping to heal broken bodies, uh, helping to mend damaged relationships, helping to ease troubled minds. Keep praying. Keep praying even if it feels like God has forgotten you, even if it feels like he's not listening to you. There's loads of places in the Bible that teach us how to pray like that. The Psalms are full of it. Um, Psalm 13, if you don't know Psalm 13, have a read of it when you get home. Learn to use it in your prayers. I find myself often using different phrases from it as I pray for myself and for others. How long, O Lord? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Look on me and answer. Give light to my eyes. I trust in your unfailing love. Keep praying. God is a great healer. Call out to him for suffering to be removed and relieved. But also pray that the experience of suffering and hardship won't be wasted on you. Pray for suffering to be redeemed. It might be that one of the people you love that you're praying for doesn't yet know God or, or has drifted away from him like Patsy had. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures and he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So you might pray that God will use the experience of this person you love to rouse them so that they listen to him. Or equally, you might pray that by his spirit, they will know the peace that passes all understanding as they come to know God through our Lord Jesus. That this time of darkness for them is the time that they find the light that shines from the Lord Jesus. Pray that people will know God. Pray also that suffering will be redeemed through that process of, of training, of growing, of maturing. The kind of training and growing and maturing that can only take place through difficulty, through hardship. Pray that God will work in your own soul so that you learn through the experience what it means to truly follow Jesus. We follow someone who went to the cross, who calls us to follow him, to take up our cross and follow him. And remember, he loves you no less when you are sick than when you are well. I mean, he's the one who made everything in the first place. He's the one who arranges the affairs of the nations, who arranges the affairs of families. He arranges the circumstances of your life down to the last detail. So when, for, when we're in difficulty, it's because he knows it's for our good and for his glory. When he delays coming, it is for some wise reason. I've been reading some devotional material from J.C. Ryle, an English clergyman from back in the 1800s. He says, The hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise and loving to smite without good reason, or to keep us waiting for relief without a cause. He loves you and you can trust him. So 
They pray for God to take away the pain of those who suffer, but pray too that he'll work in them to lead them to know him and to grow in him. Pray that he will comfort them in a way that means they're learning more and more how to trust him and that they can trust him. They'll find in that, that, that experience of difficulty that he is more than enough for us. So friends, as awful as it is in the middle of pain and brokenness, in God's sovereign goodness, suffering presents incredible opportunities to grow, to mature, to develop deep, genuine, life-changing devotion to the one who has made you and who loves you. It's often the experience that brings into focus how much our faith in Christ matters, as much as it strips away distractions and teaches us that Jesus is enough. Now in a moment, we're going to have a short reflection and then Michelle is going to come and lead us in prayer. But the last thing that I want to say before we get to the reflection is, if you are in the middle of something at the moment, don't suffer alone. Um, On the staff team, we would love to speak with you and pray with you. Um, Chat with me afterwards, chat with Bruce. Uh, we'd love to pray with you before you leave if, if there's time to do that but certainly to make a time beyond where we could listen and we could pray with you we'd love to do that but right now I'm going to give you a moment to reflect I'm going to put a verse up on the screen here it comes from Romans 5 which speaks into the space of redeeming suffering where the apostle says that We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character results in hope. How might the idea of redeeming suffering affect the way you pray for yourself and for others? Might be in this moment that that God will lead you to pray for someone. So I'll give you a minute to pray and then Michelle will come and lead us in further prayer.